Hello podcasters, welcome back to another instalment of News on the Fly, where we wrap up some of the big stories in the Australian travel industry over the last few days. Buckle up, because as millions of Aussies are still locked down, the short-term situation is looking pretty bleak, with Qantas this week standing down 2,500 staff, while also continuing its onslaught on the distribution sector. ScoMo has laid out a perhaps highly aspirational path to recovery, but at least it's a plan. And there are some indications that cruising for Christmas might be on the agenda. As always, there is so much to talk about, so let's get into it. From Travel Daily, I'm Bruce Piper. And I'm Anna Piper. And this is News on the Fly. Well, the extended lockdown in Sydney has naturally had huge flow-on effects for the travel industry, with Qantas this week revealing that its July flying was only about 40% of the levels in May, when domestic capacity was almost back to pre-COVID levels. CEO Alan Joyce says the move is unavoidable because there's just no work for these people to do. So Bruce, did he give any indication as to how long the stand-downs might last? Look, initially, Alan Joyce has flagged two months for this, but with the Delta variant running rampant, um, you know, of course, it's anyone's guess how long it's going to go on for. Um, Sydney's still in lockdown for another three weeks. Uh, You know, who knows? But I should note that while it sounds like this is a major escalation of the situation, unfortunately, this is exactly what the government's disaster payment program is intended to do. Because as we've seen, there's an absolute determination from ScoMo and Josh Frydenberg, the Treasurer, not to reintroduce any form of JobKeeper. What do you mean? Why has that led to these stand-downs? Well, a few weeks ago, when New South Wales Premier Gladys Berejiklian announced the first extension of the Sydney current lockdown, I think that was after you know just two weeks, um, our listeners may remember that the PM announced, due to the extended nature of the situation, because it had gone on longer, Um, there would be a range of financial measures to help. But instead of JobKeeper, he announced that these disaster payments, ironically exactly the same amount as JobKeeper, would be paid directly to anyone who was impacted, anyone who had lost hours, I think is the word that he used. Scomo made a big noise about how this would cut out the middleman, meaning payments would go directly to the staff rather than through the employers like JobKeeper did, and how great that would be. But of course, the impact for that is that for employers, they're not getting supported to keep their staff in jobs. So if they don't have work for them, the only option is to stand them down. Now, many employers are going to try and hang on and look after their staff, particularly small businesses, where employees are often like part of the family. But actually, under this plan by the Prime Minister, it's much better to be hard-hearted and stand people down and then rely on the government to step in, which is kind of what uh, Alan Joyce is doing. Hmm. So does that mean Qantas doesn't think things are actually as bad as they seem? Look, it's hard to say. Um, You know, definitely no business can keep paying people when there's no money coming in. But I'd have to say that this government policy, which is instead of JobKeeper, is definitely going to force lots of these stand downs. And, you know, the more and more, the longer it goes on. In my opinion, JobKeeper, for all its faults, would have been a much better response to this situation, particularly as it just doesn't seem to be going away. And, you know, in the travel industry, point of view, you know, we've had this situation for the last 18 months. I should also say that perhaps airlines are somewhat unique in this situation because by the very nature of their business, they're impacted by these border closures, not just in the location where the shutdowns are continuing, but also, of course, in the destinations they fly to. So it's pretty understandable, the the stand downs, and I hope that ScoMo and Frydenberg recognise that these stand downs are a direct outcome of their reticence to introduce JobKeeper. 
But hasn't the government also just extended its support for the aviation industry? Wouldn't that have helped to avoid these temporary job losses? Yeah, well, that's the $100 million question. And I think that there should be red faces all round because these 2,500 stand-downs by Qantas were announced about 12 hours after newly appointed Deputy PM Barnaby Joyce announced the extension of the aviation support package. Um, it's probably appropriate to use an Olympic metaphor given that we're in the middle of Tokyo 2020. You'd really have to say that Alan Joyce deserves a gold medal for lobbying. This is an incredible feat. To accept what's estimated to be another $100 million in government support, now I know it's that's across all airlines, but Qantas is the big one, while at the same time putting off 2,500 people, it's quite an incredible feat. It's like a high dive, you know, with a, a triple axle, you know, a high degree of difficulty. Anyway, it's probably understandably, there hasn't been a lot of detail provided about this extension of the aviation package, but essentially it's continuing continuing to underwrite that minimal domestic network that has been in place right through, and interestingly has been in place for months, even though, as Alan Joyce noted, flying was almost back to pre-COVID levels in May. And while we're on the subject of Qantas, the carrier this week advised travel agents and distribution partners of changes to its terms and conditions, slipping in a number of amendments which it was clearly hoping the industry wouldn't really take much notice of. What's going on there, Bruce? Yeah, this was quite intriguing, not least for the method in which it was flagged. Rather than actually announcing the details last week, the airline sent one of its regular updates to agents, just flagging that on Tuesday it would be announcing some important changes to its standard agency terms and conditions. And they just said, you know, it's kind of nothing to see here, just a continuous improvement approach to refreshing policies and procedures. Right, that sounds like a whole lot of waffle. So what are they actually up to? Well, yes, as I said, nothing to see here, but there are some key changes in there. And to me, and after, it's absolutely continuing to stick it right up travel agents. Earlier this year, we also, we'd already seen Qantas announce how it's cutting international commission from July next year. Um, but also, you know, in that saying that it's about time the industry followed the rest of the world and moved to a fee-based system of remuneration. However, this really takes it to the next level because in these terms and conditions, the fine print, Qantas is mandating that any airfares advertised to consumers must also include the cost of any fees that travel agents are going to charge. Uh, right. So doesn't that mean that travel agents who charge fees will always be advertising prices that are more expensive than buying direct from Qantas? Yeah, that's exactly what it means. And so if you're going to continue to sell Qantas fares, you've got to also clearly itemise any fees on your invoice and clearly differentiate which of the fees are being charged by Qantas and which of the charges are coming from the travel agent themselves. Wow, an interesting move. And was there anything else in the change T's and C's that the industry is likely to be unhappy about? Yeah, something that has really stuck in the craw of AFTA is a requirement in the document that any refunds paid to the agent by Qantas must be forwarded to, to clients within four weeks. Not that that doesn't happen anyway, but it's just the implication that travel agents have been holding on to client money and, you know, have been the sticking point in the repayment of all those billions of dollars of refunds due to the shutdown you know, right at the beginning of the pandemic. When, as the whole industry knows, Qantas has been just doing anything it can to delay payment. They've just been so recalcitrant. After Chairman Tom Mannering told me he was really disappointed and also just disappointed about a complete lack of consultation with the industry over these changes. 
Well, it hasn't all been bad news over the last couple of weeks, with the Travel Corporation announcing that its Australian-founded Adventure World brand will launch into the international market. So, Bruce, what is the backstory to that? Yeah, this is huge news, and it's a real testament to Adventure World MD Neil Rogers, who, as well as enduring the pandemic like all of us, has, with the backing of TTC's owners, the Tolman family, essentially expanded operations initially to the USA, but also with expectations that the product's also going to be sold in Canada and the UK, basically anywhere where Travel Corporation is selling its products. It's also a great example of a commitment to a brand. Our listeners with long memories might recall the background, which is that that great Aussie pioneer, Peter Newsom, founded Adventure World way back in 1979, built it up to be a fantastic business and eventually sold it to NRMA in 2007 for something, I think it was like, you know, 15 to $20 million. And then about six years later, just six years later, in perhaps, you know, maybe the deal of the century, the Travel Corporation bought the business along with some other acquisitions made by NRMA, Value Tours and Creative Cruising. In total, NRMA had bought them all for about $30 million altogether. TTC took it all over for $6 million, and I think that was even on a delayed settlement. Obviously, TTC has since sold off Creative Cruising to Spiros Alessandratos and Tom Mannering, but held on to Adventure World, clearly with a, a super long-term view. But interestingly, during the pandemic, other wholesalers have pivoted to domestic. Why didn't Adventure World do that? Look, I think it's because because it's part of the Travel Corporation, which already has lots of other brands, which are also pivoting to domestic. Um, obviously, they've got their own domestic operation here, AAT Kings and Inspiring Journey. So they've got actual hardware, coaches, etc. Um, so, and, you know, selling domestic product anyway. And on top of that, Trafalgar and Kentucky are also now pushing domestic and, um, you know, trans-Tasman itineraries. Adventure World product is quite different. Um, it's boutique stuff. And I think the way Neil Rogers put it is that was that a domestic pivot just really didn't fit with the brand integrity. But he also let slip that this international expansion had always been on the cards. Uh, you know, So it's a plan coming to fruition after some time. And in vaccinated markets like the USA, which are absolutely going gangbusters, now was, believe it or not, the ideal to time, time to do it, particularly with things so soft locally. Um, I should say it's also a great win-win for the Adventure World team because they're using this call centre software, which allows the Australian staff to service all those overseas inquiries. And of course, they're all familiar with the product too, a real bonus. So basically, you know, it's keeping people in a job. Well, that sounds great. Congratulations to all involved. The August issue of Travel Bulletin is out now. And in the cover story, we're unpacking the pandemic and the environment, discussing whether this pause in the industry has been a time for big travel companies to refocus on sustainability. Plus, after flags, a constitution change, and Australia is now coming last in cruise. Read it all in the August issue of Travel Bulletin, available now at travelbulletin.com.au or follow the link in our show notes. Australia's cruising constipation continues, but Royal Caribbean International clearly expects some movement, at least on the domestic front. This week, the company cancelled the upcoming season of Sydney-based international cruises for Serenade of the Seas and Ovation of the Seas, but did replace them with 14 domestic voyages starting from the 13th of December. Do they know something that we don't, Bruce? Well, as far as I, nothing that I know of, mum's certainly been the word and there's absolutely nothing official. Um, the existing biosecurity order from Health Minister Greg Hunt that bans international cruise shipping, not to mention locking us all out of uh, international flights 
you know, in its entirety, it's still in place till the 17th of September and nobody in the universe expects that that won't be extended yet again with COVID-19 going crazy across the country. However, this move by Royal is interesting and to me it reflects a lot of hope that something might get moving in cruise before the end of the year. And did Royal Caribbean give any hints as to why it was still hoping to run a domestic program? Look, certainly nothing concrete, but it's their best bet based on what various politicians have said about vaccine rollouts. And whatever you say about Delta, it certainly appears to have finally galvanised our authorities and the public to get vaccination programs going. SCOMO's four-stage plan envisages moving to phase B at 70% and phase C at 80% of the population being vaccinated. And both of those phases would include the return of some international travel, flights. So it doesn't seem too far-fetched to think that with all the protocols in place, cruising could at least start on a domestic basis, even at lower levels of vaccination. Uh, It's also interesting that Carnival Corporation also seems to be similarly optimistic. They've pivoted their upcoming Princess Cruises season to be domestic or trans-Tasman itineraries, and P&O Australia and Carnival Cruise Line, other Carnival brands, also still have domestic cruising on their books, um, I think from mid-December. So, you know, that could be the date to look forward to. Great. Well, let's keep our fingers and toes crossed and go and get vaccinated too. On that subject, and just to wrap up, we've reported on a number of developments relating to vaccination certificates over the last few days in Travel Daily. Can you give us a summary? For sure. Well, look, the most exciting thing for me initially was the ability for me to put my COVID-19 vaccination certificate into my Apple wallet. This has all seemed to happen very quickly, but of course reflects the fact that while we're sometimes left in the dark, there is work going on. Let's keep the faith um, at a frenetic pace that is going to be good for the industry. So pretty encouraging. Of course, it's not just for Apple users. Service Australia has come to an agreement with both Apple and Google. So these certificates can be stored in Android devices as well. Many of us are very used to using our phones for just about everything. And this ability to store these certificates and have them available at your fingertips, you know, it really is a potential game changer, even for things like, you know, events, uh, access to venues, um, because you can't just stick anything into these wallets. They've got to be verified with all sorts of security. So they are a trustworthy source of, of, uh, you know, vaccination certainty. Amazing stuff. And would these certificates be accepted in other countries? How would that all work in relation to international travel? Uh, Look, that's not clear at the moment, but clearly the government is working hard on all this. Um, You've also got to remember that not everyone has a smartphone. They've got to come up with something that is internationally accepted. So on that front, uh, we also reported this week that a wider plan involving something called a visible digital seal looks to have been approved by the all-powerful Expenditure Review Committee of the Federal Cabinet. It's basically a special QR code, but it involves deep cryptography, so it can be very cheaply implemented, um, you know, because it's just a you know printout, but it's also trustworthy. Um, Important to note that it's a system backed by the International Civil Aviation Organization, or ICAO, so it's likely to get international backing. And the initial report indicated the government was also talking to other countries about two-way travel bubbles based on this technology. We'll bring on the bubbles, I say. That's all we have time for today. Thank you for listening. Next time, let's hope there's a bit more of these glimmers of positivity. If you do enjoy news on the fly, please give us a rating and a review. It really does help more of your colleagues to find us. Chin up, keep putting one foot in front of the other, and we will get through this together. We will be back soon with more news on the fly.